Welcome to the sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov, where we inspire, educate, and empower women of color to unapologetically transform into their most authentic and healthy selves by tapping into the goddess within. Okay, welcome to The Sanctuary. I'm Wendy Cherry, and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to have you in The Sanctuary today. Today is a special edition, and we are going to be talking about a cometamorphosis and the Cometamorphosis Conference that's happening in Washington, D.C. I have two awesome guests here. One is Atlantis Browder. She is a historian, educator, and assistant mission director of the ASA Restoration Project. This woman also wrote a book at the age of eight and talked about her travels in Africa, and she now continues to teach um, African history and culture. She currently serves as the um, in the ASA Restoration Project and is responsible for funding the excavation and restoration restoration of a 2,700-year-old tomb belonging to 25th Dynasty. Kushite nobleman Karakmun. Karakmun. Okay. And I've actually been down into that tomb. Craziness. And, I, and I'm claustrophobic. And I went down. So I've seen it with my own eyes. Her father is Anthony Browder. And he is a cultural historian and founder of IKG Cultural. Um, then I also have my girl, Maimuna Youssef, a.k.a. Mumu Fresh. Well, hello. Hello. Grammy-nominated Afro-Native singer, songwriter, MC, edutainer, who has performed worldwide with giants such as um, Common. She's been on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. She's been on the. She's been down with the Roots from the very beginning, right? Is it then? Um, Black Thought name you Moo Moo Fresh. That's what yeah. I hear. Okay, and then Erica Badu, and recently her NPR's Tiny Desk performance went viral. Moo Fresh is a global citizen, a musical healer, a cultural philanthropist, and a community pillar. Welcome, ladies. Mm, thank yes, you. I'm so excited to have you here. And what I wanted to talk about was a cometamorphosis, sort of like a revolution of evolution for the mind, the body, and the spirit. And a few years ago, I was um, introduced to Anthony Browder's work, Atlantis's dad. And I was having my own little evolution, my own little personal evolution, which means I was trying to figure stuff out. Stuff didn't feel right um, in my spirit. And I was like, I was questioning things that I had never questioned before in my life. And I was like, something ain't right. So let me do some digging. And this was one of the resources that I attracted, your dad's work, right? As soon as I did that, I started reading and reading and reading and I came to a few events, the IKG Cultural Resource Center. Mm -hmm. Now what does IKG stand for, Atlantis? So IKG uh, originally stood for 
um, the Institute of Karmic Guidance. Okay. And um, my father noticed over the years that when people would often hear the word karma or anything scary. karma, they would get a little nervous. Right. Um, so we've updated it, and um, the more recent interpretation is um, information plus knowledge equals growth. Oh, okay. So I started to go to those events, and I was eating it up and feeling empowered and inspired and educated. So then the opportunity came to go to Kemet, which many people know the name of, of Egypt, but we know the original name is Kemet, which means? The black people. The black. Land of, the land, land of, of the, the blacks. blacks. Right, the land of the blacks. So I went and I really had a transformation. I was already transforming before I went, but that was just another layer of um, awesomeness that I was able to add to my experience. And so we traveled, we saw the, um, we went to Giza, we went to Luxor, we went to Aswan, we got to go to a little village in Nubia and go to the schools and go to someone's home. And I actually was able to go down 30 feet, was it at, probably at that time, into the tomb of Karakamun, where things were gone, but it was still very powerful moments. And I have claustrophobia, claustrophobia, so I was petrified. But the group that I went with, we called each other family. <laughs> and so my family held me down. They were cheering me from the top of the uh, ladder to the bottom of the ladder. And I see the hearts there on Facebook Live. We're, we're streaming live on Facebook Live too. So my family must be in the house. Uh, welcome, y'all. So, you know, it was an amazing experience. And I met some amazing people. And once I came back, because the information that I taught, that I, that I learned, scared the crap out of me. It also empowered me. It also just inspired me to have my own part of the revolution and my own part of helping people awaken and heal because I was awakening what they call that third eye. I was awakening that third eye and then I was also seeing sort of like the origins of where those concepts came from, right? And then I also got to see um, sort of where, you know, things happened to the people there and, the, and those concepts were taken and switched and used for somebody else's benefit. And that made me mad. And even in, um, I wrote a blog about it and I called it the gentrification of Kemet because we're experiencing gentrification all over the world where black and brown people are. But in my opinion, going there through the tombs and seeing the destruction and the theft and all those things that happen right there, um, that pissed me off <laughs> pretty pretty bluntly. It just pissed me off. So I felt like everybody should go. I feel like everybody should have that experience. And that's why I wanted to have Atlantis and my moon on to talk about empowerment, um, revolution, and from my moon of the art part of it, and from you, the metamorphosis part of it. So in your opinion, being the daughter of Anthony Browder, tell us kind of how you were born into this royal family. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, I think it begins on a spiritual level. Um, I don't believe this is my first time here. 
Um, I do believe that all of the people that are in our lives, we choose them. So Mm -hmm. I chose to be here through my father, through my mother. Um, And there were certain things that were already in place, the divine had in place, and it was up to me to come through that vessel um, and walk that path. So my earliest introduction was definitely just being around my father and going to lectures with them and, you know, meeting all these wonderful scholars. And I finally had an opportunity to travel to Africa, mm-hmm. um, specifically to Egypt, when I was seven years old. Wow. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because I remember, you know, seeing documentaries and seeing images and National Geographics, and it's nothing like being able to go to the motherland and see all of these things for yourself. Being That's able right. to touch it with your, um, with your own hands. Right. So, um, yeah, so at seven years old was my first introduction. Um, and since then, I've been back at least about 12 or 13 times. And I have to say that every time that I go, it's always a new experience. One, wow. okay. because I'm going with new people. Right. So they bring something different to the experience. But right. I'm also seeing things that I never saw before. Or when I come back, I can see it through a different lens. So it's always a different experience. Okay. So you went your first time at seven. Mm-hmm. And then you, as an eight-year-old, wrote a whole and published a book about it. So tell mm-hmm. us about that experience, and then what kind of um, what kind of impact that had on you, and what impact have people told you it has had on them? Well, being raised by a single parent, um, you know, my father did a wonderful job, and I think because he was such a great role model, I wanted to be just like him. So okay. I wanted to travel to Africa like him. I wanted to write books like him, and I think um, when that opportunity came, a family friend suggested the idea for us to um, write a book, and so we did that. It became like an extended um, homework uh, assignment, oh, okay. and essentially after a month, we wrote and published the book, and you know, at that point, I'm like, yes, I got my first book just like my dad now I can start traveling and doing presentations and teaching both children and adults about their history and so I've been very blessed to um to see how my work my experiences have transformed others and I think some of the greatest story or at least one of the greatest stories that I can recall is around the time when my book was first published okay and there was a Um, a gentleman who had a young daughter you know he was from Africa and I think the daughter was born in America but he wanted to take her back home so Mm -hmm. she could you know see his family Mm -hmm. and this little girl was scared Scared. she refused Mm -hmm. to go because she had seen movies Mm -hmm. about these wild animals that are you know running around gonna eat you up and you know all these diseases and she didn't want to go and so she had every excuse in the world to not want to go but her father purchased a copy of my book Mm. and the very first line it says I was seven years old when I made my first Mm. trip to Africa and so she after reading that turned to her father and said you know she was seven years old when she went I'm seven years old and I want to go and so just that first line was enough to inspire her so now that's That's awesome and then another cool thing is when Maimuna and I were we were all in here you know in pre-production and Maimuna's like Atlantis router. Wait a minute. <laughs> so tell us about your experience with Atlantis. Yeah, my mom bought me the book when I, I don't. I don't exactly know how old I was, but I was a child. She bought me that book, and I think when I saw your face, I was like, she looks so familiar to me. And um, I mean, obviously, I, I definitely know your father's work, but I saw that. I don't know. That book just made an imprint on me as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, definitely felt like, man, I need to step my game up. You know what I mean? Get my weight up out here. <laughs> but no, it was, I mean, it was, it was really dope. I still have the book, you know, it's, it's a part of my library. And uh, I just thought that was just um, a really powerful thing to see a young girl of color who 
you know, had that kind of courage, who was, you know, out here living her best life at seven years old. You know, and so when I saw, I was like, wait a minute, I know you, I know your book, I know your father. Right. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. That was a good, um, that was funny to me. That was really (laughs) cool. So Atlantis, we, um, we, so you don't go by IKG anymore, but here in Washington, D.C., there is what they call Wisdom Wednesdays, right? Mm-hmm. And so for people who are, who, for our listeners who have never heard of this before, um, tell us about some of the things that you can learn at Wisdom Wednesdays, some mm-hmm. of the topics of discussion. Yes, well, Wisdom, Wisdom Wednesday is the third Wednesday of every month at the Thurgood Marshall Center from 7 to 9. And the the topics are endless. Um, anything from African spirituality to meditation, um, we always, <clears throat> excuse me, always have a group of people come out in October and talk about what's going on in the Congo. Um, so it's a variety of topics, and the best thing I can do is encourage folks to go to our website. We mm-hmm. always, um, you know, list upcoming events, and so of course, if it's something you're interested, definitely check us out. So what's the website? It's ikg-info.com. Ikg-info.com. Okay. Ikg-info.com. So a cometamorphosis. Um, Sharon who, Pringle? Yep, Sharon Pringle, Lisa and Douglas, Tammy Stokes. They were the ones who coined that phrase. So yep. what does that mean, cometamorphosis? Yes, so after traveling uh, with the Sea Egypt in 2000, they coined this term as a result of you know, not only traveling to Kemet, but being completely transformed by the experience, by the knowledge that they were exposed to, to the point where they couldn't return the same individuals mentally um, or spiritually. So essentially it just represents the change that one um, experiences as a result of traveling to Kemet. Okay, so tell us sort of about what happens when you go. When do you all go? And then what happens? What do you see? Because I know that people say that they go to Egypt all the time. And in my opinion, now, after having my own experience, if I hear someone say they're going to Egypt, I say, there's not really that many trips that I would suggest that you go on if you want to get a real full, um, more authentic and true, uh, you know, of information, uh, wealth of information. So what did they get when they go? Well, there's there's two things in particular that make our trip um, a lot different from some of the more traditional ones. Mm-hmm. Um, first things first is that we're going to provide the information from an African-centered perspective. Right. Um, so we don't start Egyptian history from the time that Greeks or the Romans came in. We're going right. back thousands and thousands of years, thousands of years. So and people have tried to say uh, Egypt is not in Africa. And people have tried to say that. It's in the Middle East. It's in the Middle East. Okay. <laughs> Every attempt to try to remove Egypt from Africa. From Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from an African-centered perspective is where you all teach from. Exactly. Okay. And then the second thing that um, I found people enjoy the most is that we also do lectures. So after a day of traveling, you know, in the hot sun, going to the pyramids and visiting sites at the, at the end of the day, um, you'll receive a lecture um, by my father, and he'll help to kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So you're not just out there because it's a lot of information to absorb. It's a lot of information, um, and you can definitely get overwhelmed, especially if you're new to it. So just having those lectures to just kind of bring everything together. One of my favorite memories. I have so many, but one of my favorite memories was um, going to the. Oh, what's what is like the seat where where Lincoln's. Um, 
the structure of his thing oh. was, what is that called? Abu Simbel. Abu Simbel. Okay, so we get off the bus, we hot, we wrapped up, we laugh and we talk and we walk around this corner and then we see, if so if you can Google, if you don't know what it looks like, Google Abu Simbel. It's an amazingly beautiful structure of four Kings or mm-hmm. Ramses II. Ramses II sitting there on on like a throne. So if you picture the Lincoln Memorial, if you've been to Washington D.C. and you know what that looks like, the person who created that took that design from the the person who created this this um, structure here. We all turned the corner. Everybody was quiet. Some people start crying. The guys start crying first. Because it was so beautiful and overwhelming and so huge, you just can't even believe that human hands maybe built all that stuff. And that's your people. And they weren't slaves either. They were not slaves. And then the other thing is, you know, many of us who are here in the North, we are West African descent. You know, Kemet is on East Africa, but there were six to eight migrations West, correct? Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things that we, you know, our people, we come from there. Like the origins are in Ethiopia, in Kemet, in that area, in East Africa. So it's ours too, because I have seen people say, people always trying to be Kemetic now, right? People say that kind of stuff because they want to keep the separation of Africa, West Africa versus East Africa. We ain't trying to do that. We're trying to just bring everybody together because we all are one. But that was one of my favorite. And then the other one was going down the Nile River. So we're going in this boat down the Nile River. It's beautiful. We get to this beach. People are chilling on the beach and they have this music playing and this camel is running down the beach, right? And I'm like, yo, is this a movie? I actually have it on my phone as an iPhone video. These people are, you know, the camels running down the beach, the babies are playing, they pulled the boat over and they said, we can get in. I ain't have a bathing suit or nothing. We jumped in in our clothes. Like people just took stuff off and we just got in. And I'm like, yo, I am standing in the Nile River. How dope is that? How amazing is that? It was beautiful. So those are two of my favorite experiences. And they added to my cometamorphosis um, and evolution sort of like if you think of cometamorphosis, think of evolution and learning and being inspired to do something different than what you've been doing. That's my kind of interpretation of it. Um, so let's talk about when you know that kind of information an internal revolution happens. And that is a ripple effect to inspire you to do other things. What have you, you've been so many different times with so many different groups of people. My group was just one group that just happened to be there at that time in 2016. Um, What have people said about being able to travel and to see and what kind of um, revolution that has um, put in their brain? Like how has it unlocked their brain? Because then I want to bring Maimuna in to talk about decolonization. And even from a brain level and how art plays a role in helping to decolonize the brain and our people. Well, I mean, I think you kind of 
spoke on it when you express your experiences you know people go through so many different <clears throat> excuse me emotions whether it's angry uh, anger frustration sadness disappointment that you know things that you've believed all your lives you come you know to realize as an adult aren't necessarily true right and it's not because your family intended to hurt you but it's just they because they're passing either. on what they're taught and right. so it becomes the responsibility of the individual to see really is what their responsibility is moving forward that they could either continue telling those stories mm-hmm. or they can start a new legacy and um, you know each person has a different metamorphosis based mm-hmm. on their own personal background but mm-hmm. I think if anything um, you just become motivated to want to share the information but the most important thing that I always tell people and my father says this as well we can't share this information with everybody um, everybody <clears throat> excuse me everybody's not ready everybody for it. ain't ready <laughs> and everybody's not necessarily right. willing to listen but right it, you know, and that's you, okay too exactly no judgment on that right mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so essentially I think the cometamorphosis just kind of empowers you and makes you feel a little bit more responsible for continuing the legacy that our ancestors have okay. created for us so now the people even the the students that you teach and the adults you know the adults and children that you teach um, and even for yourself what kind of um, impact do you think it has had on you um, in changing how you move in the world and how you feel about yourself and your people? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, just the culture, um, it provides you a foundation to really just to, to be able to stand tall, you mm-hmm. know, because we've been told for so, so many years that, you know, our people haven't done anything. So when you can start with the basics and know that you actually come from a race of people that have started the, they started the civilization right um you can't get any better than that and so right. i think it's really just kind of building on your knowledge base your cultural knowledge so that you can understand who you are feel comfortable who you are because you're always going to be bombarded with things in society that's trying to tell you you know you need to look like this or you need to be doing this and mm-hmm. so you have to develop your own mind right. your own way of thinking so that you can protect yourself from those that are trying to pull you in other directions and as far as the children um, you know, education has been one of my strong points. I enjoy working with children and really to see the light bulb go off when mm-hmm. you expose them to new information. And, and every year that I've taught, I always make an effort to introduce some aspect of comedic or African history. And I remember the most recent time I did that, um, I was using Egypt on the Potomac for a DC history course. And I had one of my seniors like just literally stop in the middle of the discussion. I was like, Miss Brown, I'm not trying to get us off track, but why are we just now, le- why are we just now learning about this? <laughs> right. Um, and he was really upset the fact that he was getting ready to graduate in a few months. This was the first time in his life that he had ever heard anything about African history and culture. Right. So being able to give them that space to express that. And then other mm-hmm. students chimed in. And so over the years, you know, I've, I've seen that they do want to know this. And it's just unfortunate that I don't have as much time with them as I like to, right. you know, expose all of this to them. So now just looking from the outside in on Moo Moo Fresh, right? Mm-hmm. Just looking from the outside in, it seems to me that you were kind of taught who you were from a very young age. Mm-hmm. You had a connection to your culture very early. And so the way that you move and flow and share that information um, with other people is really inspiring and I think it's empowering. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how knowing yourself and knowing your cultures and right. t- just talk to us about just growing up being and then you were also homeschooled for a while, right? Yeah, I was just about to ask her about yeah. the homeschool. And then her she homeschooled her son too at some point. Right? He's still homeschooled. Still homeschooled. So mm-hmm. I mean, 
you know, I think that that allows us to just move differently and have a different perspective about yeah, a lot of sure. things. So talk to us about that. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I think one of the biggest benefits of being homeschooled is probably uh, the opportunity to be left alone, to not have someone else's ideas constantly forced on you and to allow you to arrive at your own conclusions with the information that you're given um, without a forced agenda being pushed on you. You know, even like, like okay, so I homeschool my son, but really more than me homeschooling him, I'm giving him, you know, the opportunity to have some information and mm-hmm. then the space to make his own, draw his own conclusions right. and become who he's going to be without forcing him um, into any bureaucratic system you know mm-hmm. even just like little things like lines he used to always ask me when he was really small why do people have because uh, when he was in pre-k he had to be in a pos- position in a line and he always mm-hmm. had to be in this space behind this person he said I don't understand we're going the same place why is it so important that I be in this place in this line why do they want me to go on this line you know <laughs> and you know it, I just I think it's interesting yes. as kids arrive at these different and I said well it's a, it's a part of a system you're being from the time you're in school you're being put into systems to find your place in this whole you know socioeconomic structure and mm-hmm. stay there you mm-hmm. know um and I, have, I I'm, I'm looking for. I'm going to ask you afterwards information <laughs> on when the next trip is because I'm definitely looking forward to going and to taking my son. Um, but I think just having exposure to to culture, like my first rap group was named Series B, mm-hmm. and I learned what Series B was from um, Ivan Van Sertma because mm-hmm. his book Blacks in Science was a part of our curriculum. Now, okay. granted, the U.S. does not acknowledge any of the curriculum my mother used to homeschool us. I bet. <laughs> Let it be told, we didn't go to school. Um, but, you know, so when we started learning about the Dogon people of Mali, um, we tied that into our music. So when the Sears B star was was seen, that was a time um, where a new leader was chosen, where new agricultural practices were put into play. And so as rappers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're we're um, adapting that, we're taking that on and making it relevant from where we're coming from as kids of the hip hop generation. And we're like, all right, we about to be the, the new leaders. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, so like that, that was like our origins. We're like 12 and 13, taking the science from Ivan Van Sertma and putting it into rap verses, selling it, you know, pressing it up, selling it on the street. And um, it, I guess it, it just became like an integral part of who I am. I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't even think about it as much in terms of uh, the fact that I relate to my ancestral identity. Mm-hmm. I don't even notice it until I'm in environments where people don't. don't. And then I'm like, hey, where they do that at? You mm-hmm, know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of interesting, but it does. Um, it really dictates how I move, what things I accept, how I value myself, you know? I mean, that's in every level of the game. That's from the type of deals that I'll be a part of, the type of music that that I, that I make, the type of um, environments that I allow myself to be in, because everything, our environments and our circumstances, they are always influencing us on a subconscious and conscious level, Absolutely. and they really dictate how our future plays out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even stress enough having a sense of identity and purpose, knowing uh, that you come from something great. Um, it just makes you up to Annie. So now you know, okay, this is who I come from. Mm-hmm. 
then I have to at least this this is where you know it starts I have to at least be here and build and then go yeah right. build up from here so you know you don't you have a standard that you have to keep and when you see kind of other people you know doing different things you're like eh, that's not for me though I can't do that because I know where I come from right you know right, I, right. I know whose shoulders I stand on like I can't do that you know I have to walk with integrity it just right. you know it, it shifts your whole perspective about how you move so it's really interesting that you have that because so many of us here in the in the northern hemisphere in you know Sometimes people call it the wilderness. We don't have that. You know what I'm saying? Like many of us weren't raised like that. Many of right. us were raised in those systems. Mm-hmm. We didn't know any different. So we just followed right along in the yeah. system, not knowing anything else. And that's not necessarily our fault. But it's one of those things when you know um, better yeah. and when you get information, you can do things differently. Now, it's okay if you choose, like, because everything is a choice. You can choose to not embrace it or research more or try to figure out things for yourself and mm. use the own your own divine wisdom that the creator gave you to be able to think and reason and to feel things out right yeah. so i know those people but we're we're just hoping my intention of really bringing you all on is to maybe start doing some research if you haven't because i know a lot of my listeners already do this kind of work that's why they're here but if you're new um, to hearing this kind of information, you have the entire world on your phone, you mm-hmm. know? And that's what I tell my daughter when she's like, mommy, how do you spell whatever? Or ask me a question. You have the entire world. Mm-hmm. So you can do some research and then you can do more research and just figure out um, what's true and what feels feels good for you. Because it really is about um, like your intuition and your instinct will kind of tell you the truth. And you mm-hmm. said it started, in the beginning, you said it started spiritual, kind of like in a spiritual way. And that's how it happened for me. Something didn't feel right after a while. And then once I started researching and once I asked for wisdom, it just started coming. And I was right. like, whoa. And like you said, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. You go through the gamut of the emotions of being shocked then pissed off then you're like how come I didn't notice and then you start to say how come I'm in this system mm. and and then what I learned most about being in Kemet is that this um, is intentional it's intentional that we don't know right. it is intentional that it is hidden and changed and transferred to really support other people's foolishness instead mm. of our growth and being able to connect the way that we can to live the lives that we're supposed to live. So that's just my little soapbox rant about that. But (laughs) I feel like it's super important for people to learn and to teach your children. You know what I'm saying? So you teach children, you teach your son, you teach people all over the world through your rhymes and all those kinds of things. So tell us about art as activism Mm. and how you have used that you know even recently so you were in the pipeline what was the proper term the proper name of where you were and what were you doing there on the Standing Rock Reservation right um yeah we were I mean it's so it's still going on right now but trying to prevent this pipeline from being built because it was initially supposed to be built at in the neighboring white town Mm -hmm. and after a town hall meeting the mother's said no they were like nah yeah you can't build this when they say no it doesn't happen right and that happens with nutrition too so I Hmm. I, the Goddess Awakening and Healing Sanctuary which is what you know is my foundation we teach nutrition anything that nourishes mind body spirit 
But as far as food, when the European mamas know what's not good for their yeah. children, they yeah. will fight. Yeah. And when they fight, stuff changes. Yeah. So that's why that changed. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we spent, um, and I, I wasn't even there the bulk of the time. I mean, some people were there, you know, nine months fighting, you know, fighting mm-hmm. throughout the ridiculously cold winters of, of uh uh, North and South Dakota, which are really, really intense. But um, and there are a lot of pipeline struggles going on now, where there are other pipelines threatening to be built through Native territories mm-hmm. that you know inevitably, long term, are going to poison the water source. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the slogan came from: "Many Wachoni water is life. If we don't have clean water, we don't have life." Right. And that should be uh, something simple enough for anyone to understand that. You know, we're not, hey, we're not just being jerks here, guys. We just mm-hmm. kind of want to live, you know. It's mm-hmm. kind of important that we drink clean water, you the know basics. what I mean? Right. Uh, so, I mean, it would, to me, is one of the most beautiful displays of solidarity I've ever seen mm-hmm. in my own personal life. Um, I think at the point that around the, like, the last day I was there, there were about 10,000 people there. You know, I mean, people laying their physical bodies down in front of the pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, well, if we don't fight today, our children are going to die tomorrow anyway. So, right. you know, it's really imperative. And the fight is for clean water is still going on. Um, there's an indigenous uh, people's march that's happening um, to bring light to, to those issues of uh, water rights and land rights and um, and human rights. Mm-hmm. So it was a blessing to be able to be a part of that and to to see so many people from all around the world mm-hmm. really coming together. And because mm-hmm. a lot of Native issues are not um, on the forefront of uh, any political agendas. I mean, I look to see some of that changing now with right. two of the first Native people and uh, Native women in particular in right. office right now. So now that's interesting because you're part Native. Mm-hmm. And for what tribe are you from? Choctaw. Okay. So a lot of times we don't know that there are people of African descent who also are also part. A whole lot. A whole lot, right. <laughs> a whole and lot. And so, looking from, like I said, looking from the outside in, I was like, yeah, mm. Mumu is there. <laughs> and and I think a lot of people that you know, the people that love you and care about you, we were hyped for you. We yeah. were proud of you. We were trying to figure out how it was going to go down. And I think it brought more visibility to the to the mm. issue because it was you. And mm. we know that you don't necessarily just do any old thing. Right. And the fact that you were there and very committed to being there, that mm. gave us like the insight mm. to want to be able to pay attention more yeah. and to um, care more about the issue. Yeah. You know, because it ain't just, you know, we focus on our own stuff that has to do with us forgetting that we're all connected. I mean, but you know, even in, in Baltimore City where I'm from, the right. issue of lead has been a problem for a long time and how it's actually, you know, generations of, of children have been affected, affected, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with brain damage from the lead. Mm-hmm. And there's been no national protest about the lead in our water. It's the same thing with crack and opioid drugs. Yeah. When it's us, people don't care. When is you know? But we them, also they gotta fight. care. We well, gotta like you well, said about well. when when uh, Caucasian moms get together mm-hmm. and fight vaccines and they fight different additives and different mm-hmm. foods. How mm-hmm. things change mm-hmm. it has to be the you know that same level of of commitment you know to force that that to happen. So in my opinion, it's not going to change mm-hmm. until we have a cometamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Until you take the yeah. lock off of the brain, because uh-huh. it starts in the brain. Yeah. So we can always say, how come people aren't fighting? How come people aren't mad? How come there's not anarchy and craziness in the streets to for good stuff? We ain't talking about the crazy stuff that does happen. Mm-hmm. But we don't know who we are. Yeah. 
So the fact that we don't know who we are and the power that we have and how to even tap even deeper into that power, which is sort of like what I learned from your dad's works and going to Kemet myself and other resources that I have attracted since then. Now I know. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-oh. Because I'm telling everybody, like I'll tell everybody that I can so that they can choose to or not. But Mm -hmm. I move differently. Mm -hmm. I accept things or not, you know, way differently than I did in the past. So that's the thing. Yeah. We don't know. So that's kind of like why the sanctuary is here to help. And and even like what you're saying, me and my mom were talking about that yesterday about um, what's the real solution? How can we really make change? And it really goes back to decolonization Mm -hmm. in order for change to really happen there has to be change that's happening personally for yeah. each of us mm-hmm. going back to a more natural way of life is going to mm-hmm. require a lot of sacrifice mm-hmm. you know the most revolutionary of us have gotten used to a western colonized lifestyle absolutely that's detrimental to us and detrimental to the earth so for that to change we have to change we have the to things change. that we're used to right. you know the things that we engage in that destroy the earth you know to destroy ourselves we, right. those things and that's the and basics that we're addicted to the water mm-hmm. the good food um, and now the the newest like threat is Wi-Fi hmm. you gonna stop asking people for their Wi-Fi password when you go to the Starbucks no you know what I'm saying but Wi-Fi is the is the Wi-Fi is the smoking um, of the 70s and 60s and 50s. Its effects are the same as that because it's changing our whole endocrine system and people don't know that. Well, we don't know that. You know who knows that? You know which mamas know that? Mm-hmm. The Caucasian mamas know that. And they fighting like hell. They fighting the schools. They're fighting everybody to take some of that Wi-Fi out. They're turn- like I turn off my Wi-Fi at night. I put my phone on airplane mode at all times. Just have Shungite on my um phone just little things to help Mm. mitigate some of that damage but if you don't know then you don't know so now you know like now you just heard me say and you probably already knew it so now you can choose to do something different or not you know what i'm saying so that's part of what um what is you know really pertinent to what we were talking about is just knowing so deep because we don't even know how most of the science that we're using we don't know how it's made and we don't know how it affects us nope we don't know what the waves are doing and people do know (laughs) Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think enough, enough people. No, the people, our people who, yeah. the people who created it know. Yeah. Sort of like the people right. who created smoking, they knew what it was. They didn't really say it was bad until they were forced to. <clears throat> I mean, even me, like your cell phones. To. Like, you're not even supposed to have your cell phone near you. It's a, it has to be like, what, five inches away from yeah. you at all times? Yeah. And think eight, about eight who, doesn't ever do, who, who doesn't ever do that. Mm-hmm. Like, who mm-hmm. does that? No one does Nobody. that. Keeps your cell phone eight feet away from you at all times. Yep. You know? So... That that goes back to the brain and learning new things to be able to unlock the power that you were born with. Like we're born with all these things. And so talk to us about just why you feel like because I feel like you're a revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear your music and when I hear, um, you know, you talk and I just see you move over the years, like every time that I could have. You know, we've worked together on different projects and in different yeah. organizations. And I always like, my Muna needs to do it. And I'm <laughs> right. always like, sign up my Muna. And it's the same with Cometamorphosis, the event that's happening in Washington, D.C., the Cometamorphosis event. I was like, my Muna has to be on the bill. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I just knew that you would be perfect for mm-hmm. it because it all aligns. So I remember it was in 2018, I'm pretty sure. Common mm-hmm. and them were at 
NPR, okay, right? Yeah. So now we're all standing in NPR and we're watching this concert being taped for the tiny desk. Mm -hmm. And then Maimuna hit this verse, right? <laughs> now I'm standing in the front row. She hit this verse. Everybody was like, oh. now I've seen her perform plenty of times. Um, she actually performed for a personal friend for me before. Mm -hmm. So I've seen her plenty of times, right? And listened to her, her works on, you know, online and stuff. But this verse, and I don't even remember what it was, but the whole joint was mesmerized. Wow. And it was so powerful. And you know it was, because I'm pretty sure you got a lot of, you know, feedback after that and a lot of excitement yeah. around it after that. So tell us about that moment for you. Yeah, you should you should spit that spit that uh, words. What was that verse? Yeah, it was. I don't think I thought anything about it in that moment, but that it was just my truth. Mm. It wasn't until after it was over, like uh, when it aired, mm. and you know the influx of people, like oh my god, right. I, that changed my life, and not just and in particular because you know I was speaking about women in the industry, but the amount of men who resonated with it and was like, yo, thank you. I yeah. needed to hear that perspective. It made something click for me. Yeah. Because that's as an artist, that's all you, especially as an edutainer, that's all you really want. Like you said, for that light to come on, mm -hmm. that's all you want is for something that's on your spirit to land mm -hmm. in somebody else's spirit. Yeah, and resonate and have them be like, oh, that's what you were saying. <laughs> so that, you know, and um, especially when it comes to women's rights or... It's women's perspective. A lot of times we have issue with other people f hearing your perspective. Like, okay, let me explain to you what I'm feeling and feel me like it's happening to you mm -hmm. so that we can be on one accord about how to move forward collectively. Because I'm never, I'm never, whenever I'm talking about women's rights, I'm never talking about speaking about doing it without men. I'm never going to talk right. about that. The it's balance. never going to happen. It has to be a balance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how do you feel me, I feel you, and then we move collectively together to a place that's more whole, you know, because right now we're broken, and how mm -hmm. do we get past that? Because mm -hmm. we have to get past that, you mm -hmm. know, there's no other choice. And so, um, yeah, it was it was just a blessing for me for so many people to, to resonate with it, and, and the, the clip went viral. It went viral. You know, it was like overnight it went viral, and, you know, even some of the blogs that normally wouldn't post anything remotely socially conscious were posting it. And I was like, oh, that's really dope, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and it just opened the way for a, a larger conversation to happen. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had been waiting my whole life for that conversation well, right. to happen. And that's what I was thinking. I felt like, because I've seen you years ago, and I know that you're hustling. You know, we worked in an organization together. And mm -hmm. I know she's a single mom. And she travels with her baby. She's taking mm -hmm. her baby around the world right. and on tour with her. He's her manager or whatever. You know, like <laughs> he, he want to be. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, she's teaching him a lot of things. Yeah. And so I know... Like being a mom and, you know, just trying to make things happen, mm. being responsible for another human being, right. and but also want to share your gifts and they're there and, you mm. know, trying to get money for projects. And then when I saw that, which I already knew, like I've already seen you dope, but that was like a whole nother thing. And then to see the buzz around it, I mm. was like, finally, <laughs> like, you know, and I think I even text you like, you know, I'm watching the trajectory, yeah. you know, it's going crazy. And so... So now where do you find yourself and how do you think that the platform, because didn't Sandra Bland's mom invite you to something off of seeing you on something? 
Didn't yeah, she so, invite you to so something? So after the first, that Tiny Desk that I was featured on, they brought me on to do my own do Tiny own. Desk. Right. And I performed a song that I had written for Sandra Bland. Yeah, her mom contacted me. And that was, it was so, so, so deep. Mm-hmm. But, and it's funny because she's from the same projects as my mom. Oh. She got married in my grandmother's church. But, I, you know, we didn't oh, know wow. each other. Okay. Um, and... She just called me like three in the morning and was like, baby girl, is this moving fresh? And I was like, yes. <laughs> she was like, this is Sandra Blaine's mom. I need to talk to you. And we had a great conversation. I, I flew out to Texas to meet with her and just sit with a, a, a women, a prayer circle, mm-hmm. women, a group of women who pray together and um, who have also lost their children. And um, and she's about to do like a tour with the, the HBO documentary about her daughter. Okay. Um, but we just, I mean, then we also did something together in New York at the Apollo um, for Global Citizens. And it just has been a blessing to have her now as like one of my prayer warriors. Mm-hmm. You know, she called me, uh, I was somewhere overseas and I was really, really sick. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like scared, so sick I was scared. Mm-hmm. And she called me in the middle of the night and said, baby, you're doing too much. God told me to tell you, sit down, you know. Uh, your body can't take it. I said, that, I said, Ma, you should have called me like three days ago. <laughs> you should have right. seen what I was doing three days ago. Now right. I'm laid out. You know, but just the fact that she loves me so much, you know what I mean? And that uh, this work and her daughter and, and the spirit, it, it just brought everything together into, you know, um, that I was so moved because I also don't really write about everything. It really has to really be on my spirit to right. even communicate. And her daughter's story was on my spirit for years. Mm-hmm. You know, like would not because sometimes I start songs and I won't. I thought that was a nice idea, and then I won't finish them, and right. I had to finish that. And um, so that platform allowed me to be able to share that song to the whole world, um, and in particular to talk about what it means to see women beaten in public settings. How do we feel about that? And what are we going to do about that? You know, um, and, and the lack of remorse. Because when you look at some of the footage um, under that video where she's being beat by the police, mm-hmm. the comment section is what really inspired me to write this song. Mm-hmm. Hearing people say, well, you know, black women too mouthy anyway. Right. Like, like, she always talking. Right. You know, what you think is going to happen to you? And I'm like, where, when did we get there, y'all? Right. When did we get there? <laughs> And like being in Kemet, you see that the women are at the forefront. Like the many of the deities and um, the netter are the ones who are uplifted. So it's like we've kind of gotten away from and people. It's just the patriarchy. Mm. You know, it's really just the patriarchy um, that's affecting us. So it's our turn to not go all the way feminine. It's now time to just balance that balance. out. And that's so important. Find a good balance. It's right? important because a lot of times when you've been too far to the left, then you go too far to the right. And it really is about that balance because either mm-hmm. way, it's not going to work if it's not in balance, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So with with a platform that's expanded, how do you see yourself in the future um, being a revolutionary and continuing the work to open up the eyes of more people and to try to help them um, have some knowledge of self and yeah. feel empowered? You know, I think about this all the time, especially coming from a revolutionary household where everything is about going out into the world and healing people and fixing people. And, and you know, but what I was realizing is that some of my most um, idolized revolutionaries, the biggest problem they had was not in the street. It was it was themselves. Yes. Internal. It was in ho- at home, inside yeah. of themselves. Oh, yeah. And it transformed the way my writing was. When I was a teenager, it was like, let's get streets, rah, rah, you know, mm-hmm. take over. 
And then I realized it's not about that at all, and that's probably a really bad idea. Um, that the revolution has to start inside. Mm-hmm. It has to be with stalking ourselves to find the enemy inside, and to um, to to do that work to figure out what subconscious beliefs we have about ourselves don't serve us, and actually have us acting out in ways that don't serve our communities and don't serve our families. Um, so a lot of my music has really transformed. It's not external. The, the, the fight is really not out there. The fight is really inside. So that's that's really the perspective that I'm coming. And I start with me. It's not even like y'all need to. I'm looking inside of myself and trying to find out where the, where the BS is. Mm-hmm. You know, and how, how am I working this out? Where did it come from? What's the root of this? Because even thinking about ourselves as women, when we were born or when our grandmothers were born, she had all the eggs in her that she was going to have. Yep. So when she was pregnant with my mother, I was already you an egg already inside did. of her. So imagine that I've experienced all my mother's experiences and all of her my grandmother's Seven generations experiences. Back. Right. So even if it didn't start with you in terms of what our hangups are or uh, the places where, where it's hard, difficult to heal or difficult to love, stalking that back, you know, generations back and really mm-hmm. figuring that stuff out and mm-hmm. how do we move forward to evolve the soul, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because this flesh is temporary and there's something else outside of this. Absolutely. Whatever we got going on and we think is popping in the world, there's something else going on in the spiritual realm that's like, to, in my opinion, it's extra popping. And so <laughs> I want to work on, you know, the work that I came here to do, evolving myself, you know, mm-hmm. cleaning up the mess, you know, for the next generation. So maybe seven generations down, she's right. not going to have to be right. having the same hangups that I might have. Yep. Right. You can change it. So that's, you know, it's hard to really say, well, how can we save the world? It's like, well, if each person worked on saving themselves and healing themselves, there's the world. There it <laughs> then is. the world is saved. You know what I mean? Like right. we are the hero, and um, so that's that's really. I've been. Um, I feel like grateful to be able to now like have songs heard in a way that they weren't heard before, and it also is a heightened gives me a heightened sense of responsibility to dig deeper every time because I know that that's what my fan base. We all searching. We trying to grow. So I'm digging deeper. I'm doing the work because artists we always like sacrificial lambs. You know. We sacrifice mm-hmm. ourselves. We sacrifice our personal lives, mm-hmm. our everything. We constantly digging deep, trying to um, unearth parts of ourselves, and then we we expose the mess. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like this is where we at. Right. You know, right. We, we're, we're never gonna be perfect. You know, right. we always are uncovering, trying to find where where the sore is. Like, all right, what's the origin of this sore? Like, right. you know. Right, and that's kind of like what I created the Goddess Awakening Healing Sanctuary for is to not talk about the what. Mm. We talk about the why. Like there's the seven generations behind us and mm-hmm. then we can, you know, um, change the trajectory and a ripple effect of the yeah. seven generations that come after. For my mm-hmm. daughter, I have a 16-year-old daughter. She's starting to experience things because she has the internet. Mm-hmm. We didn't. I didn't have the internet. I didn't even have the internet in college. Mm-hmm. So just the exposure and the different things that these kids have, um, it's... It's, it's a, there's a crisis in it and then there's an opportunity in, right. in it. So, you know, I always say that um, with the people that I work with is like, I'm the mirror guide and I know I don't consider myself a healer. I consider myself a mirror guide because I'm still figuring this stuff out for myself. I'm still having a daily metamorphosis when I allow it to happen. You know, um, I'm still evolving and still learning new things and so excited about things and then sifting and sorting and see the things that I like and that I don't like. And so when I work with people, 
I just turn them back to themselves. You know what I'm saying? I just turn them back to themselves because that's really where the work is. It's not about your husband or your children or the people that work really. It's about something that's going on inside of you that may or may not be stopping you from doing what you came here to do. So I think that's really important. So we have about 10 more minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, we are having what we call, so the cometamorphosis was an experience that we had when we went to Kemet. Different people over the last, how many years has um, your dad been taking people to Kemet? Um, well, my first trip was in 89 and it probably started around that time. So he's been doing this for Okay, so let's talk years. about the, um, the tomb and the excavations that are happening and the awesome findings that you're finding there and how people can support that effort. So um, through the ex, well, through the ASA Restoration Project, we are um, currently excavating and restoring uh, two 25th Dynasty tombs um, that are over 2,700 years old. And <clears throat> we're celebrating our 10 years of, of doing this work. And the, the only way that we've been able to get where we are today is because of people like you and others who understand the importance of this work and actually support financially. So what does it mean, excavating a tomb? What does that mean? Yes, so excavation, essentially, uh, the temple tomb that we are excavating um, had been completely destroyed and buried uh, underneath the ground as a result of an earthquake, uh, a couple of flash floods. And so um, Dr. Elena Pishakova, who's a Russian Egyptologist, she's the one who um, introduced my father to Karakamun, and he met her in 2008. And I, at that time, she was actually running out of money, um, wasn't really making the progress that she wanted to. And so she shared her story with my father, and of course he you know, understood um, how significant that work was because we're talking about the 25th dynasty. Um, and what most people don't know is that traditional Egyptologists identify the 25th dynasty as the only Negro Egyptian dynasty. Mm. And that obviously implies that the other 24 dynasties uh, were not African. Um, and so we're uncovering information that literally shows us how uh, Karakamun, this 25th dynasty priest, um, was actually participating in a renaissance, going back generations to bring back um, whether it was sacred text that his ancestors used or whether it was specific architectural structures. Um, and so bringing that back um, and incorporating that into his t- temple tomb. Um, so essentially we're, we're just in a position where we can um, not only write history, but rewrite history. We can correct the wrong, history, right, and right. make history as well. Yeah. So what kind of things in the five minutes, what kind of things have you found in the tomb? Like there have been some amazing findings that even the people who lived there didn't know about. Yeah, so um, there's a a lot of things, but the uh, spirit door, um, which uh, most Egyptologists refer to as a false door, but it it is the space where a deceased individual can come back from the spiritual realm to the physical realm. Um, We've, you know, obviously it was a temple tomb, so it was a tomb, uh, a temple where people could come to say their prayers and acknowledge the spirit of the person who was buried there. But it's also a tomb because Mm -hmm. someone was buried there. Right. Um, So. Um, we found body parts, um, and because the tomb had already been robbed, the people had destroyed um, the coffins, the wooden coffins that, that were there, um, destroyed them, uh, body parts literally everywhere, skull here, arm mm-hmm. there, hand there. Uh, and it was just obvious that the people who, who did go in there had no respect for the people, the history, and the culture. So. Mm. so what is a way that people can support? Like, what are the needs of the ASA Restoration Project? And who is ASA? 
Yes, yeah, so the ACE of Restoration Project honors uh, Dr. Asa G. Hilliard III, who was an, educa- uh, an educator, psychologist, um, but really laid the foundation for, um, I would say, my father to, to mm-hmm. become the person that he is today. And so we wanted to honor his work, um, but also preserve the, the Kushite legacy in Kemet. Okay. So um, for those who would like to support, um, mm-hmm. you can go to the IKG website, ikg-info.com. You can do a one-time contribution. You can do a monthly donation donation they're definitely tax deductible but the great thing about um, the work that we're doing is at the end of every season we always do a report and give an actual a visual report as well mm-hmm. so you can see how all of those monies were used to help go into the project okay so they um, hire people from the area to come and dig and find and, and archaeological students and things like that to come? Yeah, so local Egyptians are helping to excavate and then the unfortunate thing is that there's a lot of people there who are studying, mm-hmm. um, getting their PhDs, but none of them look like us. So we do provide right. opportunities for people to come and volunteer to get you know credit for coursework and to get that experience as well. Okay, so please, if you can, um, we if you go on ikg-info, there is information about how to support that effort. There's also a conference coming to Washington, D.C. in December. So please get some information about that. There will be some amazing speakers. Maimuna is performing on that, Conscious the MC. We're having Dr. Patricia Newton, Dr. James Small, Gina Page from African Ancestry, your dad, you will be speaking. Who else? Charles Finch, Renoko Rashidi. So these are all like luminaries who are a part of helping us to, in my opinion, awaken and heal and have our own metamorphosis. So please go to the website again and get some more information. There are tickets available for you to attend that event. And then, um, so that's IKG-info. Okay. And then Maimuna, how can people follow you and, you know, learn more about you? Um, you can go to my website, MaimunaYousef.com or MumuFresh.com. It's a little easier to spell. Mm-hmm. fresh.com On Instagram is at MumuFresh. Facebook at MumuFresh. So. Okay. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I think this you. is a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Really, what we just want you to walk away with is knowing, I think in my opinion and tell me if you agree it's just like the revolution really begins inside the revolution and the the uh the evolution and the cometamorphosis really is an inside job excuse me and it's up to us each to take the steps to do it Mm -hmm. and just to know that when you do that you can um change your family and you can change the trajectory of your community and just have a um, a outward ripple effect that would be positive for all of us so thanks again for joining us in the sanctuary please follow the awaken and heal revolution at goddess-awaken.com and at awaken and heal on instagram i'll see you next time in the sanctuary listening to the sanctuary please follow us at awaken and heal on instagram and on the web at goddess-awaken.com to follow the revolution